So it's just, it's a very strong experience. It can be life-changing. What you're going to learn, I can't tell you. What you will use the learnings and outcomes that you've had from your visit to, uh, what you're going to use that for, I can't tell you that either. But I can promise you one thing. You will be a wiser human being leaving the human library. This week's guest, Ronnie Abergel, founder of the Human Library Organization. Hey there, welcome. Welcome to Nice Work, a podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we are just trying with your help to make the world 10% nicer. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and this, this is an episode I've wanted to do for many months. Ronnie and his human library, they do something really magical. Really, like just presto change show. They turn people into books. Yeah, kind of, kind of literally, kind of for real. And and these human books are then made available to be checked out by the public, by strangers, for intimate, personal, one-on-one sessions that are focused on opening readers up like never before. Every human book from the Human Library Bookshelf represents a group in our society that is often subjected to prejudice, stigmatization, or discrimination because of their lifestyle, uh, medical diagnosis, belief, disability, social status, ethnic origin, etc. You get it, right? Books have titles like former gang member, adoptee, cancer survivor, soldier, transgender. Again, you get it, right? Ronnie's Human Library was started in 2000, and it's just just a really super nice, really unique learning platform that now operates on six continents. It's active in more than 80 countries, and it's a place where difficult questions are expected, appreciated, and answered. Okay, real quick, super nice club business. First of all, thank you, as always. Thank you for being in the club, for being a member. If you're not in the club, just, you know, follow us on Instagram, maybe on Facebook. Uh, Go to our site. Sign up for our our guaranteed to be funny and nice newsletter. If it's not, you can just unsubscribe. Extra bonus points and to, like, really be in the club, you can text our insider line. Text um, the words human book right now to 310-421-0393. That'll get you into the Super Nice Club Insiders. We don't sell you anything there. We give stuff away to you there. Um, We give you inspiring quotes, some positive vibes, and free gear. Yeah, free stuff. Everybody likes free stuff. 310-421-0393. Just text something to that number, and and you'll probably get directly to me, and I'll say, what's up? Anyway, uh, hit up our website, superniceclub.com, for the world's nicest shirts, hats, hoodies, stickers, patches, all kinds of stuff, all of which are 100% guaranteed to start a nice conversation with a stranger or your money back. Yep, true story. And the world needs more nice conversations between strangers. It really does, which is exactly what Ronnie is enabling. Yeah, hmm? how about that segue? Hmm? Works out. Folks, this is just a simple, complex, powerful idea and worth your attention. So turn off everything else tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with Ronnie and the Human Library. Ronnie, Ronnie Abergel, welcome to the Nice Work Podcast. Really happy to have you on. Uh, My pleasure. Thank you, Todd. Great to be here. So where are you right now? Tell me where you're at. Tell us where you're at. I'm sitting in my living room in Copenhagen, Denmark. It's uh, early evening for me, and um, I'm looking forward to this podcast. You're in Copenhagen. I have been there once. That was in 2009. I spent a week in Copenhagen during... The timing is great for the stock because it was during the the climate conference, COP15, ah, which what? is happening right now in Glasgow. Yes. Were you there in 2009? Yes, I was. Do you remember how crazy that was? Yeah, I did. And I remember was, when Obama... I remember when Obama lost patience with our prime minister during the final negotiations of the of the COP here. I was there as a, as a part of the delegate and nonprofit world. And when Obama arrived, they kicked all of us out. 
And wow. so then it, it, that created all these protests in the streets. It was kind of a shocking experience, you know, because he sort of came in and blew up the whole conference, mm -hmm. you know, when, uh, because he wanted to promote fracking in, in the U.S. And, and it was sort of a profit over planet situation, which is, it happens all the time, right? It, it seems, happens all the time in a lot be, of countries. It seems yeah. to be a repetitive scenario for many of the countries that they're putting profit over the climate without being an expert in the field, just from, you know, a layman watching. Uh, it seems that this has been a pattern that's gone on for so long, and that's part of why we're in this terrible situation that we're in right now. It really is. Yeah. But that's a different conversation. Yeah. But I thought, how cool. I'm talking to somebody from Copenhagen, and I walked my butt off. It was, <laughs> it was cold. I walked all over that city, all over every bridge I could. It was snowing. Uh, I left a hard drive there somewhere. So, hey, anybody in Copenhagen listening, if you found my hard drive in 2009, there's some writings on there that I lost. I would really love to have them back. It would be a super nice thing. <laughs> Run it out there. Maybe it'll come back. Um, so let's jump into what you're up to. I know you've done a lot of interviews around the human library. Hopefully we can find a new angle here and there if we can. But first, uh, the basics of human library. Um, can you just kind of explain, like from what I can take... You sit down across from a human book and they'll say something like, um, hi, my name is Sarah and my title is recovering heroin user, something like that. Is that right? That's, that's right. That's right. I mean, the quick answer is yes. But first of all, let me start by saying um, I really enjoy working with this library. And so it's, it's my pleasure to get to talk about it. Uh, and I'm happy to do that. There are no questions here that are repetitive or boring, uh, I'm equally excited each time I get a chance to try and explain about why I believe this library is so important and why I would encourage anyone to either become a reader or consider whether they have experiences and you know personal knowledge that could help readers and they might potentially uh, become a book that, book that we could publish. But sure, to answer your question, Todd, we are a library just like the word says, full of human beings. And instead of paperbacks and hardcovers or digital books that you, you, you read on your Kindle reader or something, we have analog editions. Uh, we have real people that have volunteered with a personal lived experience to say, hey, I know things about a certain group in the community. I'm a member of this group. I lived, uh, you know, like this my life, and I'm happy to answer any questions that you might have about it. So it could be an issue on mental health, uh, like you mentioned, or uh, on abuse, social relations, ethnicity, uh, your disability, whether it's visible or invisible, could be something about your religious background, your gender identity, maybe your lifestyle. Uh, the thing is, we are a library trying to be a safe space where our readers, as we call them, the people who come to borrow our books, where they could actually engage with groups in their community that they know about, they've heard about them, they might even have seen them, but they don't have a social meaningful interaction with these groups. They don't have opportunities to have conversations that can help us explore the diversity in our community and potentially better understand our differences. Maybe we can find common ground. Maybe we'll agree to disagree on things. But getting the, 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 the conversations going and providing us a safe space where we won't be judged. You know, we're so afraid sometimes to offend. We're afraid to be misunderstood. We're afraid to use the wrong word. Maybe we're not entirely well-versed in the proper language or vocabulary in a certain context. And so we'd rather not say anything. But if you know someone is volunteering to answer the questions and really appreciate your courage to ask them, then it, it's a different situation. So we created this learning space. You walk into the librarian, you, sell, you can have a look at the list of topics available, browse our catalog, choose the one you want, and, and go sit down for half an hour and, and just learn. Challenge yourself, maybe challenge your own unconscious bias. We like to say it's an opportunity to unjudge someone. That is so, so cool. Do you find that there's a certain type of person that gravitates toward coming to the library? Are you reaching um, everybody? Okay, so one of the very critical questions we're getting sometimes is, um, how do you reach beyond the congregation? Because the people that will mm -hmm. come down to visit you at a public library or make the trip from home, 
down to our reading garden in Copenhagen. We actually have a permanent library and reading garden. This is where <laughs> we now can, uh, yeah, this is where we, on a weekly basis, accommodate visits from schools, institutions, and then on weekends, we're open for free to the public. And before Corona, in many communities around the U.S. and around the world, you were able to do that too. At public libraries, on campus, at local colleges, universities, uh, festivals. And obviously the situation's changed a bit with the whole pandemic that's impacted us. And right. maybe we'll get around to talk about that a little bit later. But yes, I think we're getting beyond the congregation, but not necessarily with the public offering that we've just discussed. We also have offerings in schools where students are obliged to attend because it's part of their curriculum. So they're going to be there whether they want it to be there or not. I believe in those contexts where it's mandatory to attend, uh, we do get people that would not come on their own. Finally, where I think we really hit the nail on the head is probably a lot of our work-related diversity uh, activities. So we, we partner with companies like Masco, like UGI, like Heineken. Um, and more recently, the toy company Lego invited us to come and publish our books. So I think in those situations, we're engaging decision makers, leadership, managers from global companies and helping them. Uh, create more inclusive workplaces, helping them challenge their unconscious bias. And in that context, I think many of them, as part of leadership development training and other situations, are obliged to attend. So I, I do believe we get people that wouldn't normally sort of be a walk-up reader on a Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. But to be also to be very honest, do we get people in that are openly intolerant, or fearful? Not necessarily. We do get people in that are very skeptical and critical and ask incredibly great, courageous, and critical questions about religion, lifestyle, gender identity, and that's, that's, that's encouraged. But I don't think um, that anyone would come in and then be blatantly neither disrespectful or aggressive. We've had none of that. And we've had no so-called haters in that sense. I think we've had people that were very skeptic, that were not aware, uh, that didn't have a natural access to this information. And so their mm -hmm. opinions were formed on a, you know, on a foundation that wasn't very, uh, how, how we call that, how very elaborate foundation, you know, but rather just short mm -hmm. impressions or tits and bits of information they got here and there. So now they're engaging directly and they're learning from the horse's mouth. And that sort of broadens their uh, knowledge base of this group, of the problem that might be at hand or the stigma. And so in a way, I think we're helping people form relations across the community, um, even people that normally would never have, you know, a natural opportunity to, to connect with each other. So there's, there's some really important work happening, but, but you're right. I'm, I'm not going into the haters, uh, to the circle of haters and saying, please come in here and meet with a Muslim or a, a Clinton supporter or a Biden voter, I don't know, or a Trump supporter, whoever is hating who, you know, um, mm -hmm. because I think that process is very complicated. If they're not mature to have this conversation, then I'm, I'm not sure I want to host it. <laughs> I would agree. I think it's it's such an important part of, you know, the goal of making the world a nicer place, right, is obviously communication and developing communication between people around topics that are typically so thorny and political. I think this is a great way to do it. When I looked at your, your recent newsletter, which came out yesterday, I think, uh, there was a, a sign that had today's books and yeah. it said – Autism, high IQ, giving up child for adoption, visual impairment, survivor of incest, OCD, PTSD, illegitimate child, all these incredible topics. And I was thinking, if I sat down and had a conversation with any one of these books, there would probably be some really profound learning for me. There would probably be some really interesting exchange. Does any of that get captured or is that all a private moment and it's just for the, the lender and the book as far as the takeaways go? So far, we've managed to keep it a safe space. Uh, we've okay. done that by not capturing. So we're not capturing anything. Um, we will circulate the space 
make sure everybody's doing okay. Uh, we'll have librarians checking in to, you know, monitor and be, be make sure the psychological safety is there and everybody's feeling okay. And so, um, so basically, very few situations that we record was mostly for media purposes, and we would record only parts of a conversation. It really okay. is a private, personal space. And I think the moment we start recording, it becomes a passive thing. Then you're not participating anymore. You're watching. And, and we don't want it to ever be that. There's so much of that out there, and it's doing a great job. There's very little of the hands-on direct interaction. So we're keeping our focus right there. But I know a lot of people could benefit from just watching the conversations, the readings unfold. And we always win something. We learn about ourselves. We learn about the groups that we borrow and engage with. It's just, it's a profound experience. It's an immersive experience where even I am humbled every time. And I've been that's doing what this. a good book is supposed that's to it. be, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, a good book is supposed to be immersive and life-changing. I mean, when I read a good book, I mm. am, I just want to share it with mm. everybody. And I'm, I'm known to like buy many copies and send them out and things like that. If I sat down with a good book, I would probably go home and, and make my people come back and sit down with the same book. And, and I think that's how we've distributed. Uh, of course, I've done interviews and we've got great media attention here and there. But I think the word of mouth, readers go home, they tell their family, they tell their friends, and next time even more people show up. So it's just, it's a very strong experience. It can be life-changing. What you're going to learn, I can't tell you. What you will use the learnings and outcomes that you've had from your visit to, uh, what you're going to use that for, I can't tell you that either. But I can promise you one thing, you will be a wiser human being leaving the human library. Amen to that. Um, I don't know why this popped into my head, but you heard of that movie, Soylent Green. You know, it's a future where people are food. It's a Charlton Heston sort of sci-fi. No? Yeah, I didn't. Uh, there's something that rings a bell, but it might be not. It might be USA <laughs> only thing. Yeah, but it's the kind of, you've got the same thing going on right now, except your version is a lot better. They're, they're food for thought. You know, you have, yes. you're, you're using humans to, to, help society, to give nutrition to society. I'm stretching the Soylent Green thing pretty far, but, you know, I just no, I I really like, love it. I, I like wanna, the nutrition. I'm going <laughs> to escape from that before I bury myself and, and quote you, because there's a great quote of yours that I read. It says, uh, you've got nothing to lose by reaching out. You've got everything to lose by not connecting because all you have left is your own imagination, what you think you know about somebody else. No real connection, no real ability to empathize or relate, and no real understanding. Wow. To me, that's just wow. I mean, does that apply to just about everything in the world right now or what? It, it really does. This, this, what you said, what you think you know about somebody else is the key line there to me. And, you, and, it, and, there's, I, and I even forgot one of the most important lines to that quote when I said it back then. I forgot to draw the final uh, you could say, underlining of the outcome, which is you lost the opportunity to increase your own network, to build a relation, and strengthen your ability. You see, the only one that loses mm -hmm. when you deselect someone is not the person that was deselected. In, in, in truth, the first person to lose from that decision is you, because you just lost access you lost a potential friend. You lost a potential person in your network that could be a resource in your life for your family, for you, your friends, or at work. So who are you really cutting off when you're deciding not to go with a certain group because of something that you think you know? So I said to him, I, actually I realized that by keeping an open mind, I, I gained access to communities that I would have never been able to mobilize if I hadn't been open, because I would have put them in a box and thought my things about them and never gotten to know the truth. But I engaged, I got to know the truth, and they've become a resource. So I got Buddhist, Muslims, Catholics, agnostic, Jewish, I got all kinds of people, all kinds of faiths in my network that are a resource to me, uh, that have helped empower me, that have helped me uh, be a person who could empower others too, because I could reach out to them bring them into play, and they could help me. You know, so we're, we're, in a way, 
the moment you judge someone too hard and you never really knew what the truth was, you, you first and foremost mm -hmm. judge yourself out of it. Because you took yourself out of the possibility yeah. of, of having any kind of relation with that person. And here's another great... So that's the real loss, is the yeah. cutoff for all of us on a personal level. And then there's the community loss. Because when we have strong relations across the community, we're going to be able to face adversity together. A pandemic, um, you know, whatever is going on, whether it's a tornado hitting town or whatever, we're going to mobilize. We'll stand together. We'll help each other. Because we've got strong relations. If we won't, when the community is tested and we don't have that, those strong relations, our, we risk our communities falling apart and everybody dissolving into little uh, silos, protecting their own little interest group. That's just not beneficial to any of us. And looking at the global challenges, we need really strong relations across the community, and especially with the polarizing politics of the times, where it's always against somebody else. I don't want to know what you're against. I want to know what you're going to do, what you're for. What's, what's the positive things you're for? Why do I have to hear about all these things that you're against, you know? I'm much more interested to know what you're for. I think that's more constructive. I agree. So another great quote of yours that I love is this. You say, we all judge, and that's nothing to be ashamed of. We should only be ashamed of resisting giving people the opportunity to be unjudged. And that's your, that's your phrase. That's your catchphrase, unjudged, which is so wonderful. As a matter of fact, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn my camera back on here real quick and show you that I am wearing my unjudged shirt, yeah. unjudged someone, human library. Uh, fantastic shirt. And we've given, we bought one for a super nice club giveaway. Oh. We gave one away to super nice club member, Kimberly Neeter. So That's great. Uh, this idea of giving people the opportunity to be unjudged. I, I love that you're putting that out there into the world. Yeah. Let me ask you this, Ronnie, what does your nicer world look like? What's, what's one thing you would like to see happen immediately just to make the world a little bit nicer place? Like if I could like snap the fingers of my hand and it would be like Thanos in the Avengers, I could like carry out snap something. Away. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, let's start by ending hunger and war. Once we got past those that two crazy situations, then maybe poverty, and then let's talk, talk about uh, removing our fear, our xenophobia, because I think this is all based down to our xenophobia. We're all tribal in our instincts. We come from little tribal communities, all of us way back, whether it was Irish or Viking or whatever it was. We're all descendants of a tribal system in the past. Now, the instincts that lie within our survival is when something strange and foreign comes in, we're careful, we're apprehensive, we're maybe even fearful of the new. Uh, so if we could remove the xenophobia, the, the fear within the human beings of everything that's strange and different, I think we'd, we'd get a long way with that thing. So I'd snap my fingers a couple times here, and then by number four or five, we're reaching the social cohesion part. Uh, there are more important things. But I think over time, the solidarity from the social cohesion can also help us address issues like poverty, like starvation, like the climate, because we're solidaric with each other. Uh, so, so part of this social dis dissolution that's happened or that is happening, the polarization, it's preventing us from finding solutions together. And if we don't find solutions together, the chance of implementing them is going to be very small. I would think that when you talked about xenophobia, which I agree with you, it's such a, a, a big one. And some argue that it's sort of almost built into our genetic code. But mm -hmm. the human library concept if and when, and it already is, it's scaling, right, into different countries mm -hmm. around the world. And having a human library adjacent to or part of existing libraries all over the world would do a lot, would do a lot. I mean, your vision here is pretty big, I think. I think you can do a lot of great work. So how expanded are you right now? How many countries? What are the, what are the plans to keep growing the human library? Well, the dream, Todd, is that everybody should understand that we all judge and that the opportunity to unjudge someone is one you could have at the human library by coming in and borrowing one of our books. So we decided years back, I mean, the first day when I created this, 
I thought to myself, oh my goodness, this thing, this, this could be, this is universal. And then the first day we opened, months later, gave out the first books, I immediately could see that this is global. This is for everyone. And every community in the world deserves to have access to this kind of learning opportunity. And so I said, why not try and get it out there? Let's distribute this as best we can. And so for 21 years, we've been building capacity, promoting, developing different educational materials, translating, training seminars, all this stuff um, to get us out there. And we've reached more than 80 countries and published books in, in so many languages. Uh, it's incredible. We, we've been published in Somalia, in Sudan, in Tunisia, in Egypt. Uh, we're in Bangladesh. We're in uh, Korea. Hong Kong, Japan, uh, New Zealand, Australia, uh, Canada, uh, Italy, Romania, uh, France, you, you name it. Um, and obviously there are also loads of places we're not, but we're really uh, a, a library that's, that's gone viral and spread. And so it's taken some time to find ways to build sustainable infrastructure for the human library because the first 10 years uh, we've been abused a lot and and you know used and thrown away so different special interest groups that grab the concept throw some thematic work together uh, to bring profile to themselves or to the one group in the community that they represent and with all due respect to all these organizations and and we appreciate their interest in our concept but when i have to ask them to to keep their hands off. Uh, and that's why we've had to trademark and protect ourselves. No, but seriously, if you walked into a library and the only choice of books you had was books relating to the topic of, say, homelessness or mental health or, you know, gender identity issue. It's not that these issues are not important. They all are. But they can't stand alone. If they stand alone, it's not a library anymore. You're missioning. You're agitating, you're, you're, you're doing special interest work for that one group, which is great. That's your job. If you work for the homeless coalition or if you work for an, an association for people who have disabilities or mental health background, I, I understand fully why you're focused on that. But don't use our platform for it. We are an intersectional, inclusive approach to talk about diversity. Uh, we're not for one group. We're for all the stigmatized groups in the community that need to have a voice and an opportunity to be understood. So we, we're taking more and more time to fight what we call the pirates. Uh, we're spending resources on attorneys. We're trademarking everywhere. And we've had to do this because some people are not respectful of the IP and they're not respectful of the platform. And they're also unable to protect their books. So one of the most important things for us is to create a safe space where we protect our books at all times. They come in, they're vulnerable, they're sharing, they need to be respected. The space needs to be psychologically safe, they need to be supervised, they need to be offered help if there's a reaction after a situation. So all these resources, we bring them and we train our books and we see local partners do not have the insight, the knowledge, the methodology, nor the resources to do this. So the past years, we've taken home all of the training obligation to us. So if a local library in New Hampshire wants to host a human library, we now call them a publishing partner of the human library. And if we can bring our books to this public library in New Hampshire or something, and, um, mm -hmm. and that's great. If we can't, we'll help them recruit books locally, train those books, and train their local staff to host the event so that we ensure quality, we ensure safeguarding. And so we didn't have those resources in the past to offer that. So the standard is rising now. The quality of events is rising because we're able to quality ensure better. And you know, it's not a, it's not a bad thing that people copy you. It's, you have to look at that as a compliment. If they copy you, it's because you've got a great idea. So we, we've taken that whole thing home and we're kind of protective now. Todd, to be honest. Well, I think that's, that's 
completely fair. If you haven't worked in the nonprofit world, you may get the idea that nonprofits all work together seamlessly Mm -hmm. and all get along for the betterment of the world. But in reality, it's kind of dog eat dog out there, folks. And everybody, a lot of people feel like they're competing for the same grants. They feel like they're competing for attention and for money rather than realizing that cooperatively, the world of the nonprofits can do a lot greater work by sharing mailing lists, by sharing information, by getting together and sharing their experiences and not poaching from one another. And it sounds to me, Ronnie, like you're experiencing this, the smallest part, which is the, you know, anytime it comes to money, People get small. It's, well, not any time, but a lot of times. There's poaching. Right? Yeah, there's poaching. There's cloning. There's hijacking. There is um, illegal activity, commercial activity. And, and about the not-for-profits, I, I have to say the weird thing is um, with us, I think we don't fight for any funding. We're not in competition with a single not-for-profit in regards to the, to the funds that they're applying for. And I'll tell you why, Todd, because we don't apply for any funds. Hmm. We don't apply for a single dollar from anyone. We don't go asking no foundations or any charities to give us money. We don't even ask our readers to give us money. You can buy our T-shirt like you did, and we appreciate that. Thank you for your support, Todd. Um, You could donate on our website if you want. We appreciate that. But that's not how we fund our work. So we're not in competition in that sense. But here's where we, in a way, uh, you could say, become instrumental to them. Now, as a not-for-profit and a community organization, you need to show relevance, yeah? You need to show Mm -hmm. impact. And you need to address the issues that are current. So a lot of these organizations have been around for a long time, and they have to reinvent themselves every now and then. Reposition also revitalize interest in their work, show everybody that they're still relevant, they're getting all these grants, but what's really happening, what's the impact, you know, things begin to tire. So when they bring in a new powerful tool like ours, they're reinvigorating themselves, aren't they? They're rejuvenating and putting themselves back in the center of relevance. And here's what I say, I'd rather have the human library organization stand in the center of relevance in the community as a community building force than 50 different variations of different community groups that are just using the library as a tool to achieve some of their goals. They're not devoted to the library. They're devoted to something else. And the library is a tool. We are 100% devoted to this library, to our books, to our readers, and we are experts in what we do. So... You know, no, no harm, no foul. We've just, we've changed our strategy. We're looking to build local presence in the community, serve the community for years and years, as long as it's relevant. And then we'll pack our stuff and go when the problem is solved. Yeah? Yeah. So folks, if you're listening and interested in this whole idea, and probably a lot of you are thinking, damn, it'll be so cool to have a human library where I'm at. First of all, there may be one where you're at. So go to humanlibrary.org. Link is in the show notes. Also pretty easy to remember, humanlibrary.org. And and search. See see if there's one near you. Uh, Click on the events tab. Click on the books tabs. There's also an organizers tab if you're interested in applying to be an organizer to bring the human library to your neck of the woods. Uh, If you do that, if you set up a human library in your town, please let us know. Please let the Super Nice Club know. We would love to support that however we're able to. And if you have an experience with the human library, if you go and check out a book, let us know. Let us know what you think. We'll send you some stickers or something in appreciation. Yeah, there's always, we'll bribe you, bribe you into it. <laughs> stickers, it's a good bribe. Um, Ronnie, I want to know about that moment, this this moment when you started the human library, this this leap of faith that you took to get it off the ground. But, but you know, before the leap of faith, just where did the idea come up? Where was the initial like, aha? Because it's a great one. It seems so obvious somehow. You know, it's one of those beautiful ideas that everybody thinks, why didn't I think of that? It was, it seemed so simple. Yeah. And, and it was actually, we were invited by this festival in Denmark. Uh, we were invited like January to, to come up with some ideas for the summer festival. And so they said, 
we had done a really nice job in 1999. We'd had a peace wall there. We'd had different activities engaging the festival crowd. And the festival, the cultural leadership said, wow, that was a great uh, effort you did this year. We'd love to have you back next year. And then they gave us a, a budget, a bit smaller than the year before, but said, please come up with something that really can challenge the visitors to our festival. It must be an alternative to all the other stuff we're doing here. And so I had the thought that what if we could bring, you know, people that might be considered generally members of unpopular groups in our community? What if we could bring them together and sort of make them available to all the people that think they don't like them? And then, so my friend said, oh, you mean like a library? And then I said, yeah. Like they could be, a, you know, an open book on being a policeman or being overweight or having HIV or being a refugee or Muslim, you know, and I just, and if they were like, and my coworkers, they jumped on it right away. So you, I, I like to say that it wasn't just me alone that created this. I did have some great help from Mona and Christopher and Danny. And, um, and I think what we've managed to do back then was support each other on the important things because one said, I remember one of the early discussions when the idea just came out on the floor there and we're shaping it and, and Christopher said, but what if nobody comes? Because, you know, hmm. I'd rather go hear the Beastie Boys than spend two hours with a policeman or with, you know, somebody who's schizophrenic. I said, sure. I mean, surely there will be some people who would prefer to be with the Beastie Boys and who will not come to us. But let's say worst case scenario, no one from the festival enjoys this idea. They really don't like it. They don't want to borrow our books. Then we've got 75 really different people here. What are they going to do while they wait for their readers? They're going to read each other. Hmm. They're going to be. So, so I said to my, to my team, I said, we can win small or we can win big, but we can't lose. And they believed it. And we won. And we've been winning ever since. Every day. We're winning new people, new partners, new books, new impasse in communities you wouldn't believe. In the United Arab Emirates. In, in countries where you think these conversations would be even more difficult based on our prejudices. And, and we're winning impasse there. Yeah. Go ahead, Todd. Was there, was there a moment then after this initial success at the music festival that you decided let's make this a thing and you had to just sort of go for it i mean what crises moments over the years and how have you overcome them i want to hear those stories Absolutely. because they're so they're so informative for people there's there's the idea right there's the idea then there's the actual execution of the idea which is always a challenge but then there's the, the hurdles that come next that, that defeat so many people. And I know you've had a few. A wise Norwegian friend, a researcher from Norway called Yngve. Yngve once said to me, Ronnie, it's not difficult to get a great idea. It's difficult to realize it. And you've done that. And so he sent me a very beautiful letter explaining the difference between getting a good idea and making it work. And so I think on the very first day, one of my books came up to me and he said to me, Ronnie, I don't know what you were thinking when you built this, but it works. And then he shared a story with me, which moved me so deeply um, that I decided that this library cannot stop at this festival, which was a four day happening with over a thousand conversations which was, you know, already life-confirming, Todd. I mean, to have so many amazing people come down and spend time with us rather than Bob Dylan was just incredible. And, and we won big and have been winning since, like I said. But this one book came to me. We're four hours into the first day. It's going really well. We're beginning to get feedback from the, the, the readings and the readers and the books. And he comes over and he grabs my arm and he says, you got to hear this. And he shares a story with me about how his readers had defended him against other readers in about an hour and 15 minutes. You know, back then you could borrow our books for two hours. 
the idea was you could go to go watch a concert with them if you wanted. You didn't have to have a two-hour conversation. Just go have an experience together. So you had a two-hour window. You could bring them back in 10 minutes or 20 or half an hour if you want. Um, but a lot of them actually spent the two hours back in 2000. And one of those books was Eric, our police officer, who was in plain clothes and his human library t-shirt. And he got borrowed by some young people from the anti-fascist movement. And they wanted to know how he could be a policeman and how he felt about demonstrations and clashing with young people and tear gas and dogs and, and the, you know, the use of force. And there's a lot of great discussions about how he felt as a human being in those situations. And, you know, they were digging in behind the uniform to find out about the human being that most police, that, that by, you know, 98% of all cops are also just human beings. Maybe a couple of them have turned into animals somehow. Uh, as we've seen, or at least are able to exercise inhumane treatment like we saw in Minneapolis with the incredible, tragic murder of George Floyd. So, so I thought when he shared this, um, that he was sitting with them and a group of other friends of theirs came. And when they heard that they had borrowed a policeman from the human library, most of those friends were pretty open, but one of them was very aggressive and he started abusing the book. He did not accept mm. the social context. He didn't understand the premise. He had not been to the library. He just joined one hour, 15 minutes into the thing they're sitting at a table. And the, the book told me, Eric, he said, Ronnie, before I could get up and defend myself, who do you think jumped up and told their friend to sit down and shut the hell up? Mm, wow. And they had used certain words, and it was those words, Todd, that got to me. They had said, you don't know that guy. Shut up. We know him. Okay? So after an hour and 15 minutes, they're going to defend a policeman against their own friends that I will assume they've known a lot longer than an hour and 15 minutes. And so they have a, a much stronger relation with them. They have a lot more in common with them. It's the same group, same community. Uh, same political group, everything. But they defended him. And so I realized this space is strong enough to transition you from potential opposition to friend in an hour and 15 minutes. Never seen anything. That's incredible. Never seen anything this powerful before or after. Wow. Wow. This would be interesting not to get too much off the topic about your hurdles but we'll get back to those but it just made me think interesting to take this this approach this book and lender approach maybe with someone you already know folks think about sitting down maybe for 30 minutes with someone in your household someone that you're good friends with and focus solely maybe on what they identify as at, on that day because each of us has a lot of stories mm -hmm. areas of expertise um, but to have a conversation from the perspective of this book and lender, I think it could be a cool way to open up new connections between old friends. Well, you want to really challenge yourself. If, yes. if you're a high school student, if you're an adult somewhere, you work in a place and there's somebody in your workplace that you think you don't like, why don't you try and sit down with them? Why don't you go to the kids in high school that you've been ignoring and meet one of them and talk to them and find out? more about them then you're doing something courageous because you're challenging your own unconscious bias and you're potentially bringing yourself into play and gaining new relations and new understanding of people in your community i want to sit down with people that make me a little bit unnervy uneasy and i want to better understand why they do that so they can better understand myself um and and so i would think that would be even more courageous uh to go that place and I think that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring the obese, the obese person out to talk to you, the HIV, uh, the, 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 the sex worker, people you have strong opinions on, um, the member of the NRA or the person who voted for Biden or Trump or whoever. You know, sit down and talk to them. Find out why. Maybe you will understand you don't have to agree, but maybe you'll understand why they did what they did or think what they think or do what they do. And maybe with this understanding, you're going to be more likely to accept it. 
And that's really what we all want, Todd. Nobody wants to be tolerated. We want to be understood and ideally accepted for who we are so we can live free. That is true freedom, is that we can be ourselves. And if you don't accept my way of being, that's going to make it difficult for me to truly live free, you know? I do. And, you know, our motto is making the world 10% nicer. But this this understanding, if we had a universal unjudging, we're going to soar way past 10%. Are you kidding? We're, we're going to have a 50% nicer world We'd, at least. We would have- because this is, the, this is the core of the matter, right? Are these – the preconceptions and the misjudging and, and, and the intolerance that's built around – Untruths. Well, and and these untruths are just because we don't talk well. To, we talk plenty, right? About we just about each other. Well, <laughs> we talk plenty yeah, exactly. about, but not with. You have a book of the month, right? I do, but I want. Well, to- who's who is this? I love that. Go ahead. First of all, there are two things. One is the third defining moment I wanted to get back to, and the book of the month I'm happy to do. But I also got to talk about the exclusion, Todd. You said 50% nicer world. I think 90% nicer world because we would stop excluding uh, all the people that we're right now excluding from our lives and we would include them instead because we understand them. (laughs) And that's just, it would be a whole different life quality for all of us. I don't think people understand the riches. Enough people understand the riches that are hidden in our diversity and how these things can be of value to each and every one of us. So I'm hoping to help more people understand that. Now, uh, before I go to the book of the month, I wanted to talk to you about a defining moment for me because there was those two moments of epiphany in the beginning to see incredible idea with a global perspective and it works, you know, and it's so powerful. But then the big challenge, how do you scale this up? How do you adapt this to cultures that are different from Scandinavia, from Denmark? How do you make sure uh, that people in Japan get it right? Or, um, and more importantly, um, something that took so long to build, how do we make that more accessible? Because nobody else will have six months to build this like we did. Nobody will have $80,000 to develop this like we did. We had a budget. We had over five months to mobilize, to develop. Um, and now we're putting together human libraries with, you know, sometimes a week's notice if a school is coming in or something. So it's pretty incredible to get to where we are now, looking at the incredible groundwork that's been laid. So, so the next aha moment for me, I guess, yeah. was back in 2013 when I personally decided to go all in on this. See, the first 13 years, the first 13 years, I was in school, I was working, uh, I was, I just become a dad, I had uh, little kids to, at home, and there was no money uh, in the library, it's a free service, we're giving it away. So we didn't have resources, we didn't really get as far as we wanted the first 10 years, and then when my wife suddenly died, and I became a widower, I woke up from my shock, I lost 17 kilos in 17 weeks huh. and I was I was devastated it was a shock I was zeroed I was in ground zero and I realized that the only thing beyond my children that could get me out of bed was the library it was the only thing that I had enough motivation to do I couldn't go back to doing what I had been doing I, I realized that my life could be over tomorrow and I forget get this done now, I'll regret it the rest of my life that I didn't get it done. And so, so that's what I wanted to do. Uh, and so since 13, wow. I've gone full-time. Full-time at the library, no salary, just full-time. And I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. And by 15, I was part-time. And today, we're 25 people in the secretariat. What a story. This is your life. This is your this is your passion. You're all in and thank you. I mean, I just have to thank you. It's a gift. You're giving a gift to all of us. Such a big gift. Listeners, I hope that you feel compelled to want to be part of this. At least experience it. At least go check out a book. Or no, no, no. At least go to humanlibrary.org and take a look around and see if you get as inspired by this idea as I do. Because it's just a wonderful thing. I, I've been looking for years and years, working as I have a nonprofit, 
doing Super Nice Club as well, for ways to better communicate across cultural divides and preconceptions and misconceptions. And honestly, folks, I think this is about the best approach that I've seen. And uh, which is why we're trying to get this idea out in front of you today, and which is why if you have any energy within you to, you know, disseminate this information, even if you think, I just don't have it on me to do this in my community, maybe share what Ronnie's doing with other people around you that might, right? Just because you don't have the time or energy to do something doesn't mean that you can't be part of making it happen. Sharing it, sharing these stories, sharing Ronnie's idea is, is essential, okay? So that's that's the low lift, that's the small lift that, that you can do today is just share this podcast or even more directly, forget that, share a human library with people that you know and care about would be deeply appreciated. So idea. to that book of the month, yeah, Ronnie, yours. let's talk about this month's book of the month. I wanna hear about, who is it? Well, this month we're featuring a beautiful, beautiful edition, a woman called Yoka, she's 81, and her topic is Holocaust Survivor. She's an incredible Ooh. edition. I have to say also increasingly rare edition in our library as naturally the survivors are less and less. Um, but Yoka was two and a half years old during the war when she was first moved from her home and, and, and started being hidden in Holland by the Dutch resistance. So this this portrait this month is of Yoka, part of her story as a Holocaust survivor, and, and part an interview about why is she spending so much time at the human library and at other places helping educate us, helping us understand and learn uh, from from the remaining survivors. She's one of our most active books, and it's just it's it's a it's a mind blowing experience, and I'm so grateful that she's taking some of the time that's left and giving it to us you know uh, it's it's just it's um i'm humbled i'm humbled by these people by their courage and yoka's one of thousands of incredibly courageous people that have joined us and you know i thank them every day for being part of our library uh in the sense that i personally am just so grateful uh without them we would not have any library. So we are a library 100% dependent on all of our volunteers. Um, and we try to do everything we can to, to help them also have a safe space to be better understood. Yoka is helping us several times a week, coming out to publish, primarily online, obviously, with the pandemic. But that means she's coming with us to corporate events and public online events. And if anybody's listening out there, they can always go to our website or our Facebook or somewhere and try to sign up for next uh, for some of the upcoming public events. We try to host open online events on a regular basis. And we're also expecting to become a lot more available in the community over the next year. We're engaging with big partners that are asking if they can help us gain a greater foothold and a bigger presence. Mm -hmm. So specifically the 50 states across the U.S. Uh, we're expecting to open up a lot of book depots over the next couple of years. What a great book. What a, what a great book. Thank you to Yoka for, for being a book for all of us. By the way, folks, the Super Nice Club is going to be launching a book club. Yes, we are as part of our grand relaunch in the next uh, couple of months. And we'll be looking for folks who want to lead local book club chapters. So if that's something you're into, uh, just as an aside, you know, give us a shout, reach out. You know how to get a hold of us. There's a lot of ways to get a hold of us. Um, so I know that you have a dinner to get to. You are having a dinner prepared <laughs> for you right now by your friend from New York. So we're going to try to be respectful of that. And I do want to make sure that we get across this this kind of COVID-induced expansion of yours, that you're doing some of this online now too, and people can have access to the human library online. You have, I'm looking at your latest Instagram post, uh, which says you can read some of our new editions online this Sunday. You have an online reader's corner. That's a new thing. It is, it is. And it's, you know, it's part of the, the, the transformation from analog library that would show up in person at your local community library or your college, high school, university, or workplace 
to to a digital format where it's still a live reading, but it's happening using video over internet. And it's, you know, it's typically Zoom. We'll, we'll put you in a reading room there. You'll meet different books during the program. You'll join us for a couple of hours. We'll take you through, you could say, an online reading format. And hopefully by next year, we can invite you at some point to join our digital library app where you sort of log on and read on demand, Todd. That's the future. It's what we're dreaming of. Oh, but it's great. I don't want to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do an online. I'm going to check out a you book. You should join us on the 7th if you can to try it out. But um, but there is there is events happening on a regular basis. Uh, we have new editions. We've got our online readers' corners. Um, and we've got uh, slowly returning to the in-person events. Uh, I know 30 or 40 events have been confirmed across the U.S. for the next quarter. So there should be a pickup around the community uh, of activity, slowly returning. That's, but the online, that, that's but the online was a tremendous challenge. I mean, we're decimated. We were, we were done. Everything got canceled in March 2020. And by May, we were online and operational with books that we had trained and converted into digital editions. And they have just been amazing. I mean, I've got the best team of people and incredible volunteers that have just embraced this and said, let's go online. Let's do the best we can with what we have. And it's been incredible. And it's also opened up a lot of new, you could say, opportunities because before you'd have to come down to the session to take part. Now you can sit in the comfort of your home. So there are people joining us that have mobility issues. There are people joining us that have distance issues. You know, they're from Alaska. We haven't hosted in Alaska a great deal, you know, but they could join. And and you got people from, last time we had a public online session, we had people from 20 states and 20 countries at the same session. Okay. That's the whole world so, coming together, Todd. I got to check out this one on Sunday, Sunday the 7th. So, folks, Sunday the 7th will be passed by the time you listen to this. But go online. If you're somewhere where there isn't a library in your town, I have a library in my town in Los Angeles. So, I can do both. I, lucky me, right? But I live in a big city. Um, you also have a go book online depot. and check out. Todd, you also have a book depot in Los Angeles. It's, yeah. So, it's, it's, I get to experience the whole thing. Mm. Uh, but if you don't, go online and experience the online version of this. Ronnie, what is, let's, offer a challenge out to everybody and you kind of already have but we'll, we'll summarize it again you offer a challenge out there to folks something they can do to make their world a little bit nicer so do you have something do you have a challenge absolutely what have you got so here's my human library challenge for you write down a list of three to five groups in your community that you either know you don't like or are afraid of choose one of them and seek them out Approach a member of that community, open-minded and friendly. Try to get to know them, whether it's in a grocery store, at the library, down in your shopping mall, where you're going. Just try to say hi. Try to engage with a member of a community group that you think you don't like. Even if it was a policeman, try to be friendly to a policeman. Try to engage. You'll be surprised what might come back your way uh, rather than ignoring them or pretend like they're not there, or something else. So, And you might overcome uh, one of your own fears. So that would be my recommendation. I had to do that once. I had to sit down and write a list of all the people that I think I don't like, and it was a lot of people. I'm asking you to just put three or five. Be honest. Uh, is it Latinos? Is it Caucasian? Is it obese? Is it red hair? Is it people who you know, who drink too much, you're afraid of, write down some of your, you know, your fears or people you don't really know too well, but you've, you feel like you've definitely got some kind of animosity or re reservations about them. Be honest about it and try to reach out to one of them. Try to reach out and engage. You, they, you might give them a chance to reposition within you because that's what I think we are. We're a chance for you to unjudge someone. And, uh, and you can do that without us. You can do that on your own. I hope you get to it. I wish you good luck. Wow. That is, that has to be one of the deepest, most comprehensive challenges to date. So thank you for that, Ronnie. That is a huge one. And it's going to require some courage, some real courage 
and uh, in our members. So thanks for that challenge. For me, challenge accepted. Okay, we wrap this podcast where you get to be the host for one moment. You can ask me a question, any question. So my question to you, Todd, uh, would be, um, what do you hope that people benefit, gain from listening in and supporting in on your podcast? Well, I think that you as, as a guest are very emblematic of what I hope people take away, which is one, some real learnings about how to make the world a nicer place, not just things, actions they can do, but, but mindsets that they can adopt right? New perspectives Mm -hmm. that they can take on. And the idea of unjudging someone. I judge people all the damn time. Mm -hmm. It's probably my biggest personal hurdle. Me too. (laughs) Right? Because it's it's reflexive. Like, oh, they dress like this, so they are that, right? I do it all the time. So unjudging someone is, is a huge, huge thing. Also, your personal story, your loss, your rededication because of that loss, your just decision, hey, I've got an idea. Sounds kind of cool. Let's try it out. And then, oh my God, whoa, the idea is great. Let's scale it up. The, the, the courage you had to take an idea and run with it and make it your passion. This is something where nice work is really trying to get people amped on. It's like, hey, you have an idea, you have a passion. Yeah, well, it's pretty scary usually to take an idea and then execute it because it's very rarely, if ever, going to be 100% what you had in your mind. It's going to be some something less, right? Every artist envisions something in their mind, even the most talented sculptor, their flaws in that final marble mm, piece, mm. right? No one's perfect. So it's the same thing with ideas. They're going to be not quite everything that you thought, but they can also be more than that. Like Ronnie's working with, as he said, a great team. And I can promise you that team is helping Ronnie create something bigger than he would have done alone. So when you get your idea, just go for it. Take the leap. Don't worry if you stick the landing or not, but if you get people involved with you, it'll be worth it. You'll grow. You'll you'll be more than you were before you started. That's the takeaway. When I started with this, I really agree with you, Todd. And when I started with this, everybody, most part said, that's a great idea. That's so much fun. Uh, but it's not for us. And, and it's not that they turned us down. They just, the time wasn't right. Uh, now, it's our time. So basically... You got to keep believing in it, keep working for it. I had a dream that day. I had a vision and I see my vision becoming a reality. Sure, there are small things that aren't uh, turning out exactly like I thought, but all in all, this has gone way beyond what I could have hoped and expected for. It's, it's gone even better and it's going to end up as big and as rewarding for all of us as I hope before I am, I'm off the planet. Uh, I really hope to truly see this potential for learning uh, realized in every community around the world. Um, so thank you for inviting Fantastic. me to be part of this. And I hope we did a job today on showing people and inspiring people how they can be nicer and help make the world I know a we nicer did. place. So, yeah. Ronnie, welcome to the Super Nice Club. I'm glad you're, you're part of the crew and you can count on us to help the human library move forward. Have a great dinner. Thanks, Tom. Thank your chef once again for his patience. And I look forward to checking out a whole lot of books. Thank you. And I look forward to hearing the podcast, man. I appreciate having me on. You stay safe, yeah? Be safe. And so there you have it. A super nice conversation with super nice Ronnie Abergel of the Human Library Organization. This thing's cool. This thing is great. COVID kind of gumming up the works for for, for doing these live and in person. So go to humanlibrary.org, check out a reading that you can access on the computer webs and avail yourself to someone's lived experience, someone wholly unlike you, whose lived experience you have no inkling about, right? I would check out Truck Driver, if, if there's a truck driver out there. I would check out Mariachi Player. I would check out um, PTSD uh, Survivor. I just check out anybody and everybody. Again, humanlibrary.org to learn more about what Team Human Library is up to. Uh, if you know anybody, like one person, 
maybe maybe 15, who you think would appreciate this podcast, uh, today's episode, this talk about human books, please, please, please pass it on. Uh, you can pass on a direct link at the superniceclub.com website or just, you know, share your Spotify or or Apple or wherever you're listening to this with your friends. It really makes a difference. It's really cool. And every time you share this podcast with someone, I feel it. Yeah, I feel it. It's like a little ding, kind of a tickle, kind of a twinge. It's a good feeling. It's uh, like just underneath my left armpit. So wait, no, your left, my right, my right armpit. Yeah. Uh, you know that if you hold your hand out, your left hand, and raise your, your, your forefinger, your thumb, it makes an L. Yeah, I just learned that pretty recently. It would have saved me a lot of pain as a kid uh, figuring out my left from my right. Try it, try it, reach out. Even if you already know this, like reach out your, your left hand. Oh, but if you don't know what your left hand is, well, you know what the letter L looks like, right? Yeah, so raise both hands up, kids, if you're listening. Which one's an L? To you, not to your friends. The one that you're looking at. The one that's an L, that's your left hand. <laughs> who knew? Crazy, right? If you don't know anybody who wants to listen to this podcast about the human library but is having a hard time figuring out their lefts and rights, pass this episode along. Tell them to skip to the end. This is like the uh, the Marvel movies, the end credit scene, the bonus material. Okay, till next episode, everybody. <laughs> Love you and stay nice. <laughs>